Well, not quite. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. The coronavirus has come to the United States, upending economic growth and wiping out in just weeks nearly four years' worth of stock market gains. Through it all, fintech has emerged as a matter of significant interest to policymakers here in Washington, D.C., highlighted by a recent letter by Democrats in Congress to banks, online lenders, and credit rating agencies, urging them to think creatively about how they might serve their customers in today's turbulent times. Meanwhile, Senate Republicans are working to enlist fintechs to assist the Small Business Administration distribute funds to cash-strapped firms. So this got me thinking, what can we glean from policy responses thus far that might assist us in understanding fintech's future in a post-COVID world? To talk us through the issues, I'm delighted to welcome Aaron Klein, the Policy Director of the Center on Regulation and Markets at the Brookings Institution, And previously, Aaron served at the Treasury Department as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Economic Policy. Aaron, welcome to the show. Chris, it's a pleasure to be on even under these difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances indeed. Maybe you can just sort of lay out, uh, particularly given your experience over in the Treasury Department, maybe a, a brief overview before we jump headfirst into fintech about what you're watching and seeing from the Federal Reserve in terms of its responses to this financial crisis, or at least the the economic turmoil. And what are you viewing and seeing from the government uh, writ large? Everything that is old is new again. The Federal Reserve and at its first steps, Congress and the administration seem to be following the playbook from the 2008 financial crisis. The Fed acted decisively and swiftly in lowering its primary monetary policy tool, that is overnight interest rates, down to zero. It also started its another round of quantitative easing, that is purchases of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities to try and lower longer-term interest rates. That is another step from the prior playbook. It also gave some forward guidance to the market that it will likely keep interest rates low for a longer period of time which is important and a little bit different as people are not sure how the rebound when it comes to this virus and pandemic will look. What then do you see as the differences between the situation in 2008 and now? In this, this virus is different than the financial crisis in the sense that it's the technical seizing of markets and the underlying value of securities hasn't quite moved in the same way. It's not the same securities. There aren't hundreds of billions of dollars of subprime mortgage backed securities out there. But what's similar here is the great uncertainty about the value of these assets. How many people are going to lose their jobs? How many car loans are going to default? How many are going to be repossessed? How many people are going to be able to buy a used car going forward? The severity of this, how long will things be closed? When they open, will they open back to normal or will they open at a much more limited capacity? These types of uncertainty cause people to pull out and markets to seize, to stop functioning. This is why the Federal Reserve 
broke the glass and instituted its emergency authority under Section 133 of the Federal Reserve Act to lend to non-bank entities. This is in the form of commercial paper. And this was back in 2008. Uh, This is this week as well. So the Fed did that in 2008 with non-asset-backed commercial paper. This is how companies like Apple and Best Buy and others finance themselves. For those uh, of a certain age on this podcast, you may remember Linens and Things. That was a company that failed (laughs) in the financial crisis because its commercial paper came due on a day in which nobody was buying commercial paper. This is kind of rolling over your traditional daily uh, uh, debt and business operations. The Treasury Department took $10 billion of their emergency stable exchange stabilization fund, which they're allowed to use without Congress's new authority, and they decided to back credit losses, and the Federal Reserve is now operating the same facility it, it operated in 2008 to support non-banks accessing the commercial paper market. So one of the differences that you had mentioned was that you know, this crisis, it's taking on some similar initial crisis responses, uh, certainly by the Fed, as, as you just noted, but it's a little bit different. Uh, certainly the assets in, in question are, are different. I mean, 2008 was about credit default swaps and mortgage-backed securities all linked or primarily linked to things like uh, the, the real estate market. And, and here you just have this very larger swath of society that's being impacted as people, as workers, are forced to stay home and as businesses are forced to, to shut down, and creating all kinds of questions about how do you price investments in those uh, companies that, that are uh, slowing down. Another difference is the role of the fintech sector, a term that I'll just use broadly to encompass online lenders, players deploying alternative data, crowdfunding and the like. Uh, certainly they've been increasingly pivotal players, especially for small business. What do you think the crisis means for this particular sector? So this is the first major test of the fintech business model. And they're being tested in a way in which the models probably were not considering. This is what uh, people would call a Six Sigma uh, event. This is way outside the standard deviations, the experience the model has ever had, right? We've not had national waves of closures like this, even including the September 11th experience, right? Baseball was closed a week. Airlines were closed a week. This seems like this is going to last at certain levels much longer. This is going to be a major test of the fintech business model. How well they do remains to be seen, but it's something far outside the economic historical experiences on which these models were based. There's some reason to be optimistic to the extent that the fintech models provide greater flexibility for borrowers than traditional products. Eventually, we're going to get to the 1st of April, and lots of traditional loans will be due. Businesses will not have had much revenue in March. What are they to do? Will they forbear, the lender forbear, or will there be a default? If you had a loan, a fintech loan that was linked to your daily swipe, your daily sales, then the lender will immediately take losses. The loan will lengthen in duration. But there's not going to be a coming default crisis moment, as there would be when the question becomes, do I become delinquent? Do I pay my loan or do I become delinquent on it? So how the fintech loans perform 
remains to be seen, but I, I would suspect they perform differently than traditional lending. And I suspect they perform differently than their own internal models predicted for recessions because we've never quite had a recession driven like this. So, so is that risk, though, a risk that's germane to fintech, right? I mean, and, and their business operations. So on the one hand, if you have a fintech lender and a kind of online lender that's using algorithms, right, you know, that's that's automating lending decisions based off of historical data and, and trends, right, uh, that it may not have, pro, you know, nobody may have programmed a pandemic into its risk uh, model, right? Uh, but, it, you know, clearly no one uh, really has, or at least very few have. Um, so is is this a kind of uh, fragility that is germane specifically to fintech, or is it just because everything is automated that that particular risk may be, or, or challenge may be greater? Well, I think the challenge is going to be different for fintech. I'm not sure if it'll be greater or less. I think it's different because I think the economic and business model behind many of the proposals within these variety of different companies in the fintech umbrella were based on making connections between activities the existing financial system ignored, the difference connecting payments, processing, and lending right, is a very, very different type of connection than a standard pull your credit score, look at three years of your business and, and send it forward. So I, I think that the you know cash flow-based underwriting assumes, looks at your last 12 months of cash flow. There's a lot of variants of cash flow for modern income people. Lots of people have second and third jobs. How that will be impacted Tremendous. Imagine if you were a vendor at a sporting stadium, right? Imagine if you uh, paint houses, right? Imagine if you do a little bit. I, um, I think ten, one study showed 10% of Americans had some sort of gig economy income. Will that rise? Will that fall? Are people buying more things online and having them shipped to their door? Or are they not taking uh, Ubers and Lyfts? Right? So I don't think there'll be one universal experience across all fintechs, but I think that the way this recession hits fintechs will be different than the way it hits traditional lending products. Do you think that alternative data could possibly play a, a useful role, uh, particularly in a world where there's so much uncertainty about historical data? Absolutely. Historical data will struggle to predict responses from this recession because this recession does not follow historical norms. It is based on a very different underlying area. Alternative data may provide great clues to see who's doing better than expected, who's doing worse, and what new business models coming out of this are likely to be more successful. But in addition, the credit reporting model, which is based on the assumption that if I'm late paying a bill, it means I'm more likely to default than people who are on time paying bills. Given this sudden drop in income, given the ability to have mass uh, uh, deferment or forbearance, how accurate is the amount of time since your last payment in predicting the default probability going forward? So, so I, I think alternative data will be more important in the response to this because the response to this will not hold up well with historical experiences on traditional data because this is a non-traditional event. 
one of the uh, really, I, I guess, gaps that fintech had, had come to fill, particularly in the last couple of years, had to do with uh, small and medium-sized businesses and enterprises. And, you know, it, it just appears to me that even as the headlines tend to be sort of filled with the largest challenges, say the airline um, companies or, or, or the cruise uh, companies, you know, that, that really largest uh, damage may actually fall on those SMEs. And as you were mentioning, a lot of those companies have to go back to their lender, whomever they may be, to ask for either forbearance or some kind of flexibility in terms of their outstanding debt. And many fintechs had sort of stepped into the breach, or at least they'd viewed their their business strategy as exploiting a, a bit of a gap to the extent to which traditional lenders had overlooked a lot of uh, small and medium-sized uh, enterprises. Does that uh, particularly create risk? I mean, certainly many of the fintechs uh, themselves are going to need uh, some payment, I would guess. Uh, they work off of a different model. That they have different uh, levels of capitalization vis-a-vis -vis banks. Um, how do you foresee the market shaking out, uh, particularly when you think about uh, some of the online lenders? It's a major risk. This recession will be extremely damaging for retail businesses, small businesses, mom and pop shops that operate in physical premises. A little bit different for online. There's a reason to think that more business may migrate online. Uh, but this is going to be extremely damaging. If you're a restaurant in a state that has closed restaurants, you're in a world of trouble. How much forbearance will be from banks and fintechs? How much government assistance will come in? And how quickly will that come in? What form will it take? These are a lot of unknowns. What is known is that the immediate end of revenue for hospitality, travel, tourism, restaurants, bars in large swaths of the country will have a huge economic impact. In addition, one advantage many fintechs had was geographic diversity. Historically, recessions in America have very different impacts geographically. The 2008 financial crisis is, is no different. Texas performed very differently than Florida. That may still be the case under this virus. It is too early to see whether or not its spread will impact the entire country at the same level of severity, whether there'll be substantial geographic distinctions, and what timing. What we have seen is certain cities get hit earlier than others. Whether that will also mean harder is unclear. But fintech models that assumed a more, you know, some gains of national diversification may be tested. They may come out ahead, but it's still too early to tell. When you think then about the responses by the Fed, um, you know, the purchase of commercial paper, I mean, uh, breaking the glass, as you had mentioned, uh, to reinsert itself in the financial system, those, those measures are presumably designed uh, really to support traditional banks and traditional lenders and uh, not so much the fintech sector, uh, but do you, do you think that the fintech sector may in some way benefit from that life support that the Fed is providing now for the markets? Uh, I don't, look, if markets collapse, that's ultimately bad for fintechs. Whether fintechs have direct access or indirect access or no access to the markets the Fed is supporting, 
one thing the financial crisis in 08 and 09 clearly demonstrated was that markets are interconnected in ways regulators, policymakers, and market participants themselves don't necessarily understand. One reserve fund broke the buck on Lehman uh, commercial paper and calamitous results occurred in unpredictable ways. So I do think fintechs are benefiting from the Fed's, I would say, un- unprecedented or historic action. But when something occurred within the last 15 years, it's hard to call it either of those. But ultimately, the key issues here are going to be dealt with by Congress and a fiscal policy response, not by the central bank. Ultimately, this is going to be a recession brought on by the virus that comes from the bottom up of working people and small businesses that are impacted, not a recession that comes from financial markets and abstract securities traded by investment banks and insurance companies in in complex ways underlying from the basis of mortgages originated by people who may not have understood the terms of the contract. There's two very, very different recessions. Well, I will at least try to uh, end on a more positive note. I think I think a little bit of optimism is in uh, short de- uh, supply. Uh, you know, w- when you do think about financial technology, you know, we've we've kind of focused on online lenders, but you know, when you think about artificial intelligence, when you think about alternative data, when you think about crowdfunding, when you think about really just the the vast universe of the fintech ecosystem, what ways can you see financial technology sort of helping in a positive way to address some of the dislocations caused by all this uh, economic turmoil? Ultimately, there's going to be an economic recovery. How the new economy in a COVID world looks is unclear. One thing that is clear is that having systems that can operate without direct human contact is an advantage. FinTech's ability to scale, to operate remotely and electronically, ability to interact with people broadly throughout the country without requiring face-to-face, person-to-person interaction is extremely valuable and likely to be more valuable in a post-COVID world. Being able to get money into the hands of small businesses and individuals whose prior 12 months of financial experience may not be typical of their next 12 months is going to be a benefit when the economy recovers. While many small businesses will not survive COVID, new ones will come and take their place. Being able to operate and provide capital to new enterprises that emerge, uh, phoenixes from the ashes of this, will be critical to restarting our economy and producing a strong recovery. In that way, we should be thankful to have new financial technologies in place to to have this recovery, which we did not have in 2009 and 10, when the economy struggled to recover from the great financial crisis. Yeah, super interesting. Aaron, thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. The economic pain caused by the coronavirus will be topped in significance by only the pain and the dangers to public health the virus has created. Restaurants will close, airlines may go bankrupt, workers may lose their homes and livelihoods, and markets will crash. In the turmoil, financial technology will have its winners and losers. 
On the one hand, the very youth of so many companies suggests potential dark days ahead in terms of financial support, and the strain the sector encounters will reflect that of many of its cash-strapped customers. On the other hand, the digital and data-driven drivers of financial technology seem especially well-suited to a world grappling to secure better information and to navigate very changed circumstances in terms of not only business-to-business, but also person-to-person interactions. Buckle up. Fintech Ride is about to get very interesting. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you. Fintech Beat is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.